0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 133 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, deep into the night here on this fine Thursday. It's not so fine, I suppose, and the fact that the Braves just got, uh, you know, not decimated, but beaten pretty soundly, and uh, here to to chronicle it all with me is the great Scott Coleman. What's up, man?
1: About as bad as a, a playoff game can go other than a heartbreaker in the ninth inning.
0: Yeah, I mean, we were talking before we started recording a little bit. It's a situation where this is preferable to blowing a game. I think, you know, having a game where the Braves didn't feel like they were really in it. I mean, there were moments where there was brief optimism, but, you know, no back and forth. Dodgers had the lead in the first inning and led the entire game. You know, it it wasn't fun. To be sure, I guess there are worse outcomes and kind of what you said there, like maybe just collapsing late or something like that. But it wasn't a whole lot of fun. It's probably the best best way to start off with uh, that, that discussion.
1: Yeah, it was rough. I mean, and obviously we're not telling anyone that people didn't see the game for themselves. But to start the way it did, three pitches in for Fulte's night, to give up a, a leadoff homer, it just kind of deflated the team a little bit. And we'll certainly go inning by inning or at least – Big situation by big situation, but a pretty deflating night all the way around. And It is just one game, but obviously now you got to win three out of four against a a very good Dodgers team. And everyone knew how good the Dodgers were. Uh, I know folks were talking before the game today. This kind of felt not a must-win, obviously not an elimination game or anything like that. But because it was Fulton-Evich, it's hard to imagine the Braves now winning three out of four. But stranger things have happened, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, coming into the series, there's a reason. We talked about this on the on the preview podcast um, with you and me and Eric. There's a reason the Dodgers were significant favorites in the series, and that's because they're very good. Um, so the margin for error is already pretty small. Um, and then once they announced that it wasn't going to be Kershaw in game one, you felt like that was a spot where the Braves – as you mentioned, not quite a must-win, but you know th- this was—I said this immediately early on in this game. This was the one game on paper that the Braves had the advantage on the mound, and they clearly did not have the advantage tonight. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, looking ahead, you know, it's, anything can happen. But uh, this was one that the Braves probably ne- needed to get. So we'll talk about that and big picture stuff a little bit later. But I mean, you, and, you alluded to it. Let's just kind of go one by one. Maybe not inning for inning, but just sort of the bigger stuff. Obviously, the lead-off home run from Jock Peterson. You know, a lot was made about Fulte throwing three straight fastballs in that at bat because Peterson's one of the worst hitters in baseball against breaking pitches. Um, You know, it's early in the game, so I, I totally understand why Fulte would be leaning on his fastball. That's kind of what he does. But at the same time, it doesn't look great in retrospect to give up a home run, considering it was a high fastball that he basically just hammered. So I mean, yeah. it's one pitch, and credit to Folti—he got he got out of that rest of that first inning. It was not pretty by any means, but getting out of there with only one run was probably a good sign at that point in time. But what would you make of the early start stuff and really just Folti in general? I guess.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. It was you want to establish your fastball early, and it wasn't even like you threw one right down the middle. Um, looking at Statcast, I think it was just off the plate actually, and. And jock just hit it up in the air and the sun was still out and uh, when the sun's still out in Dodger Stadium the ball tends to carry but once it goes down uh, the ball really dies and it just kept going and going I thought Ender was going to have it for a little while there but uh, it just snuck over but I'm with you in hindsight sure I'm sure he'd prefer to bounce to curve or a slider in the dirt instead of uh, a fastball that was too hittable in the zone but uh, again, that wasn't as crushing, especially since Volte was able to, to escape the first inning with just one run. We were talking, uh, you felt like they were going to be able to escape a little bit and, and weather the storm, and it was just the one run. Obviously, things didn't get better as the as the game progressed, but uh, it was nice to see him battle back a little bit and, and to get that strike out of Puig with the bases loaded to give the Braves a little bit of hope. Obviously, it didn't work out, but it did give him a chance because things could have gotten out of hand in the first inning.
0: Yes, uh, Puig swung, Actually, that's kind of a weird thing to say out loud, Puig swung at ball four, I thought, in that uh, yeah. in that strikeout, but uh, to kind of bail fault a little bit, but that was very nice, you know, I-, I guess from there, you know, the offense, we can talk about as much as you want, or a little, as long as you want, it was not a fun offensive night, there was obviously no runs, we'll talk about some, some specifics here in a second, but, you know, scoring no runs, I guess none of this stuff would have... "Quote unquote matter." I, I got a few. Tw- I got. A, I got a few tweets about that after the fact, like you know, talking about the specific stuff that we were tweeting about, the strategic stuff. It's like, well, the bro- offense has to score runs. I'm like, yeah, I understand that the offense. You can't win if you don't score runs. I un- I understand that, but uh, there were still some big picture things that were not. Not great. Obviously, the I thought the biggest pitch of the game was well, this is pretty self-explanatory now. I mean, the homer to Muncie is obviously the pitch, but the 0-2 pitch in which uh, Fulte hit hit Jock Peterson with two outs in the second inning was yeah. basically uh, pretty self-explanatory. But one of those things where that, that keeps the inning alive. He walks Justin Turner, and then the three-run homer. And you know, in retrospect, the game was basically over right then with with Max Muncie oh. going yard. So, I mean. I'm not sure there's much to say about that, but you just can't do that in that spot. With, with the- yeah, it
1: was, it was brutal. I mean, and, and not just, but after the horrible first inning, he gets the eighth and ninth hitters, I think on five pitches, he goes, 0-2 on jock. And you're thinking, okay, you know, they're still down one, nothing. You get this. He, I think he was only at about 35 pitches at that point. Uh, then he loses control of a breaker, hits jock in the knee, Turner reaches. And then, like you said, before you know it, it's, it's for nothing. And, The game wasn't over being the second inning, but it it kind of felt like it was over, especially with as well as Ryu was throwing. Uh, And just kind of how the Braves have uh, been unable to do much against the Dodgers, not just this year, but in recent years. Uh, It was a bad omen, and and obviously, I mean, the one run was more than enough for the Dodgers tonight, but Muncie's homer really kind of broke the back of uh, not only Fulty, but I think of the whole team.
0: Yeah, Fultys reaction, you could tell he wasn't uh, necessarily locked in there, and that kind of leads to some, you know, it's stuff that doesn't, again, I guess, matter that much because of the way that the game played out. But there's there was some questionable uh, tactics in there, and that's something that we're going to spend some time on on these playoff podcasts because you know, these are the decisions that end up mattering in the long run, even if they don't matter in the short run. Um, you know, letting Mike Fultonavich hit in the third inning for himself and then taking him out anyway was controversial, to be sure. Um, I guess there are arguments on both sides and that you have this, you know, it's early in the game, there was nobody on, um, and you had an out in the inning. Um, but Fulty hitting for himself and then being removed was definitely not a normal thing that you would normally, that you would see in a game like that. What Would you make of Snicker letting like sort of let, letting that whole thing take place? Considering I know they have the five man bench, but it's kind of really a, kind of really a four man bench, right? which I guess is the argument against that. But in retrospect, the Braves didn't use three other bench guys. So and, you know, look, looking back on the on the game, letting Fulty hit for himself and then not using three of your bench players is not exactly the best look in the world.
1: Yeah, it was a little weird. At the time, I didn't hate it just because, as you mentioned, uh, I mean, Rene Rivera's on the bench, but other than an extra inning scenario, he's probably not coming off because Ugh. they want to utilize uh, Flowers of Suzuki for better or worse. I mean, it's it's what they went with. We could talk about that ad nauseum, I'm sure. Uh, you know, you okay, and if, if you're not going to use uh, Suzuki in that situation, which you shouldn't with no one on in the third no. inning, uh, and you don't want to burn Lane Adams, your only backup outfielder and, and best pinch running threat, in a game that was for nothing, I didn't hate it. Uh, your only other real uh, bat in that scenario is Eric. Or I've done it twice now is uh, Ryan Flaherty. <laughs> yes. two, twice in three days, I've called him Eric Flaherty, uh, Ryan Flaherty, and you know make all the Ryan Flaherty jokes you want. I'm not sure using him there would have been that much more uh, opportune than than Fulte. and because he is kind of the only backup infielder, I guess if if someone was to get hurt, he would be your guy, and you don't necessarily want to burn him in the third inning for a pinch-hitting situation. So I didn't hate it at the time. You're right. The fact they didn't use a couple guys on their bench makes it look a little funny uh, a couple hours later. But at the time, I I didn't hate it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand the argument um, for what he chose to do. I don't agree with it. I do understand it, and it's part of the reason why, as you said, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's part of the reason why carrying three catchers really hurts you is because... You're basically doing that just so you're, you know, quote-unquote allowed to use, uh, I guess, Suzuki in this game, whoever your backup catcher is later on, and Rivera is someone that you're just never going to use. So you're just, you know, you're basically operating with a four-man bench, Um, and as a result of that, it makes it tough because you're not going to use your two best pinch hitters, who are the catchers, and then as you mentioned Adams is your as your runner as your you know pinch running guy later on in the game and Fleer is your only backup infielder so now you have your hands tied i mean in retrospect there probably is a pitcher on the roster that you would that you would you would prefer to hit over Fultonavich who is a terrible hitter but even then like doing something differently i don't know it's a rough spot it's just a bad look it's it's unfortunate in some ways in that the the uh, situation is just weird but I still think you have to hit for him there. Um, probably with Flaherty. I mean, it wouldn't have been this fantastic option because Flaherty isn't very good. But, uh, yeah, that, that's just a weird one. It didn't end up mattering, obviously, in the grand scheme of things. But um, it doesn't look great in retrospect. Um you know, moving on from there, we don't have to spend too much more time on that. In the top of the fifth, the Braves got two on, basically had their first threat of the entire night after a singles by Ender and Charlie Colberson. and then uh, they finally did pinch hit Kurt Suzuki, which was the right thing, to, at least in my opinion, that was the right decision at yeah. the right time to do that. A high-leverage spot. He, of course, sees one pitch and sort of fists a fly ball to right field. That was a routine out, but it sounds like you agree that was the spot to use Suzuki. That's what I thought to be sure.
1: It was. I mean, the fact that he popped up a cutter or a changeup, whatever it was, that was a little off the plate uh, and just kind of blooped it up in the air to right, which was obviously caught. It it was unfortunate that really the only real rally the Braves had in the first eight innings was was shot down so quickly. But um, again, just a frustrating night. And give credit to Ryu and the Dodgers' bullpen. I mean, he was throwing strike one just about every batter, um, I don't know what the, the game ended at, but I think through the first seven innings, the Braves only had a 2-0 count twice all night, which is uh, very, very good. Um, the, there wasn't much they could do, and, and when Suzuki popped it up, you felt like that was really the Braves missed their chance. If you would have put one in the gap and cut the lead to 4-2, maybe it's a different game, but uh, a frustrating thing to be sure. But uh, to Brian Snickers' credit, he did uh, utilize Suzuki at the right time there. It just didn't work out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I tweeted even before the decision was made. I tweeted this is probably going to be the highest leverage situation of the whole night for a pinch hitter, and it was. I mean, that was the biggest spot of the game for at least from from a pinch hitting perspective. He used the best option in that spot. It just didn't work out. It was not a good plate appearance from Suzuki. Um, swung at the first pitch and wasn't really a pitch that he wanted to be swinging at in retrospect. But that's just going to happen sometimes. It was a bad. It was a bad at bat, but um, the right decision, even though it didn't work out. Um, you know, on the bright side here, we'll spend I guess a couple of minutes just talking about the guys who were not faulty um, in this game. The only other guy that did not pitch well is Brad Brock. He looked pretty bad in his outing, but Sean Newcomb was great. Max Freed looked great, um, and even you know Ventures and Sabaka at the end looked pretty good. You know, obviously a lot of that stuff was low leverage later on in the game, but especially Newcomb and Freed really came in and kind of held the line and gave the Braves somewhat of a chance. Obviously, they never that ne- never materialized, but it pre- some pretty um, important and quality endings from two guys who are basically starting pitchers operating out of the bullpen
1: yeah you said i mean three and a third innings only gave up one hit a one uh one walk struck out three um everyone kind of worries about newcomb throwing strikes and of course he came in when the braves were already down four nothing and was just pounding the strike zone uh freed looked really good and snit took him out after 18 pitches I, i was a little confused by that of course uh for brock and I get it. I mean, you had two right-handed pitchers or hitters coming up, though one of which is Puig, who uh, almost at this point notoriously hits righties far better than lefties. And they-
0: yeah, and they actually both, uh, both Puig and Hernandez, who ended up actually bombing on Brock, both of those guys had reverse splits for the year. You mentioned yeah. Puig. Puig's are like long-term splits. Hernandez, I'm not sure that's the case. I need to go back and look at that. But even for, for this year, both of those guys hit righties better than lefties, so that does not look yeah. great for your manager, obviously. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was. I was a little confused. I know a couple people thought, well, maybe he realized that since Newcomb and Freed were looking good and they were already down, uh, for nothing that you maybe don't want to burn freed and, and not make him available for game two, uh, but at the same time, of course, as you said, the reverse splits. Brock comes in, almost gave up a homer to Puig, and then and then gave up the long homer to Kike uh, to make it five nothing. Not that another run made all the difference in the world tonight, but I think just. From a, a mental standpoint, being down four nothing is far different than being down five nothing. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But from an outsider, it, it just kind of seems that way. And uh, you're right, Brock did not look good. Uh, and obviously, now because they had to use five or six relievers this evening, you hope that a couple guys are fresh tomorrow because uh, tomorrow obviously becomes a, a very must-win game if they want to keep their season alive.
0: Yeah, that's kind of goes without saying, to be sure, and. You know, I'll be interested to see how they handle it, if they do get the win tomorrow, which is important. Um, you know, bring, when do you bring Newcomb back? When do you bring Freed back? How do you handle Game 4? These are questions that may not matter if you get swept, but, um, like, there was a lot of talk, especially when Newcomb looked good in that first inning on Twitter, from people that we think are smart, um, talking about maybe you maybe you want to keep Newcomb fresh and maybe start him in Game 4. Um, I think the plan, as soon as Newcomb entered that game, to me, I immediately thought, all right, Julio's supposed to start Game 4. As soon as they brought nukem in, that was kind of what I thought in my head. Maybe that was wrong, but uh, I think you probably will see Tehran in Game 4. That's just a guess on my part, if Game 4 exists. But uh, that's just some interesting hypotheticals because it does. It did seem like Sticker had those guys, those guys on a short leash for a reason. I'm not sure what the yeah. reason is just yet, but uh, I'm sure he probably has a rationale for it because, you know, otherwise you would have kept Freed, especially in the game, longer and probably, even I mean, maybe even Nukem. I, I guess they had to hit for Nukem, so maybe not. But, um yeah, interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I do think if, if we had to sit in the post-game meeting with Anthopolis and, and Sned, I'm sure that part of it was, let's not totally burn Nukem and Freed. Uh, now, who knows? They always say everybody's kind of available in the playoffs and whether or not sure. they would, they'll would, they try to throw Newcomb or, or Freed out there again tomorrow if they need him. We'll see. Um, but I'd it be was surprised,
0: just a, honestly, with yeah. you, normally the guys who, especially Newcomb, guys who have just started for so long and haven't thrown out of the bullpen in a long time two days in a row seems really weird. Like maybe Freed has more recent experience in the bullpen, so Maybe you might try that, but Newcomb hasn't thrown out of the bullpen since when? I mean, it's before yeah. tonight, when After, was the last time Newcomb threw out of the bullpen? <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, he threw, uh, he threw an inning, I think last Sunday, but other than that, that was his long bullpen appearance. So,
0: yeah. Um, so it's uh it's a weird one, but yeah, it's just something that we keep in mind. It may not end up mattering, but that was, uh, Maybe not, I don't know. Questionable is probably the word I would put. I would put. It wasn't necessarily I think negative. Odd. Yeah, That's, yeah, odds a good.
1: Weird, point. yeah. Because he was That's cruising. How- I mean, he had gotten four outs, and I think no,
0: freed looked 18, great. I mean, eighteen
1: pitches or so, and even just talking about the future, I think with freed, I, I I'm still kind of fascinated by him. I think, and it's not like he has a bunch of elbow and shoulder injuries. He always seems to have the blister problem. Uh, was his groin that he strained? Like trying to get out of the way of a line drive that was hit back at him earlier in the year. I mean, they're not elbow and shoulder injuries. They're just kind of weird injuries that he always seems to be bothered by. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about next year all, all we can, but I'm still pretty intrigued by him. And, and as we've seen when he throw, when he's throwing strikes, he's he can be really effective.
0: Yeah, he's got great stuff. There's a reason he was a fresh round pick. Like he's got I think a higher ceiling people want to always remember and free to someone to keep in mind to be sure. Um one topic that we want to want to hit on real quick here and actually goes with I'm following the press conference as, as we speak on Twitter, um, the postgame presser, just so we can make sure we don't miss um, anything here. And this kind of goes with, with that. There was the play in the sixth inning where Acuna reached uh, Acuna reached base on the leadoff error um, by Machado, uh, who, of course, the broadcast wanted to make seem like they were like he was Anderton Simmons defensively, which made me laugh a lot. But uh, Acuna got on base and then um, had the strike him out, throw him out double play. Um, And people were really kind of freaking out about Acuna, including me, about why he'd be running in that spot. It made no sense whatsoever. And uh, actually in the press conference after the game, uh, Snicker is now uh, saying that Acuna missed the sign and he was not supposed to be running. Um, Hmm. So that's unfortunate because I mean... I, I, it does make sense because, I mean, I think we all kind of had that same reaction, like you're down four runs and Freddie Freeman's on, uh, Freeman, Freddie Freeman's on deck, why are you running? It, it was a straight steal, obviously, because, you know, uh, Camargo was trying to protect and swung the bat, but any kind of movement there didn't really make sense, so I guess that explains it, but that was one, that was a spot that was pretty rough too, when you have a fast guy on base, a little bit of, of momentum, no outs, leadoff bands on, you know, Camargo, yeah. Camargo struck out anyway, but it was just, a, that was a rough one as well.
1: Yeah, it was weird. It was a head-scratcher, and it was kind of just a microcosm of the whole night for the Braves, just just a, a sloppy play, and, and just not a good play, honestly. And it, I guess it makes sense, because at the time, everyone was like, why in the world would you do a hit-and-run there? You're down by four. It just didn't make any sense uh, at all. Yeah, it was Yeah, crazy. It, uh, I don't know. So, I was it, ready. To, I was, was ready to rant about
0: it on this podcast. And now I can't do it because I saw that after. So my apologies, to yeah. Brian Snicker, because I was I was going to blame him for that one, and it wasn't his fault. Right?
1: <laughs> See, we're fair to Snit. We don't always unfairly bash him. No, I,
0: I mean I tweeted before. Like I, I don't think he's good as a manager tactically. I think that's. I mean, my my position is very well documented there. Um, but I mean, I'm not going to kill him if we don't have to kill him. There were things that yeah, I thought he did poorly tonight. But that was apparently not one of them, so we'll hold yeah. back on that one. But yeah, that was rough. It was just, again, it wouldn't have mattered. So before you uh, want to send that tweet to me, I promise I understand. it. They lost by you know six runs, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. The
1: timing too. I mean, it was right. It was the uh, third time through the order. Uh, Acuna reaches. He, okay, you think all right, he's on. It was four nothing at that point. Camargo, Freeman, Marquez. Even if you can get a run or two, you just kind of chip away. If the bullpen can hold things, obviously. That didn't happen. Obviously, the bullpen didn't hold it, but uh, a frustrating thing. You talked about Suzuki's pop out earlier in the game, kind of deflating their sales. Um, I think that kind of deflated the Braves' final sale, and it didn't help that the next inning, uh, Kike hit the homer to make it five nothing.
0: Yeah, and that's basically like where I almost want to not do any more like play by play because there really wasn't anything that was terribly interesting after that. No. You know, we, we mentioned Sabaki and Vendor's getting. You know, they got four outs. And that was fine. They they both pitched fine. There was a couple walks from, from Sabaka. Obviously, he didn't pitch great. Um, and by the way, eight walks for the Braves pitching staff. You just can You just cannot do that. we talked about two, it all long. Yeah, yeah. You just can't. You can't do it. I mean. And by the way, the Dodgers did not have a single walk in this game. The Dodgers pitching staff combined for eleven strikeouts, no walks, um, six hits. Obviously, you know Rio was fantastic, but even their bullpen guys would give up two hits. But other than that. Like they were lights out, and it's it's over. It's an over over oversimplification to talk about how good they were, but they just were, and the Braves weren't in this game, and in really every way. Uh, Friend of
1: the friend of the program, Joe mentioned uh, the Dodgers only had five hits, uh, only one single all night long, and it was the the, the Braves
0: out hit the Dodgers tonight in this game.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and Ryu, the pitcher, the opposing pitcher had the only single of the game. Uh, for the Dodgers, they had three homers, a double, and a single, which is pretty crazy. But that's that's what it's they also, do. They hit homers yeah. and, and they limit your your base runners, and that's kind of been their formula all year long.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess you could, if you were trying to be really positive, you could probably find a scenario in your mind where that's a good thing, and that you know it's only a pitch here, pitch there. It wasn't like you just got bludgeoned, you know. But at the same time, yeah, it's kind of the formula and. I, it's one of the reasons why I couldn't really figure out why people wanted to play the Dodgers and not the Rockies. That was an opinion that I, that existed. Some and I just I never understood it. To be honest with you, the Dodgers are just kind of scary good in a lot of ways. And I don't think you could necessarily predict that Ryu was going to throw out was going to come out and just dominate the way he did. But everything else that happened was pretty predictable. Max Muncy's been incredible this year. He had the three run homer in this game. Justin Turner is good at baseball reach base three times. Um, Jock Peterson, you know, is capable of hitting if hitting a hitting a lot of home runs. He's got a lot of power. This is a lineup that's really deep. They're really their bench is very deep. In fact, they didn't really need, even need to use it. That's one of the things that we talked about on the preview is that the Dodgers bench is so good; they didn't even need it in this game. Like it didn't matter because they were winning. So I mean, they, they only used, I think, one pinch hitter. Yeah, it was David Freeze. Everybody else hit for themselves, and obviously, again, this, that comes that kind of ties back to the pitching being so good. They didn't need to pinch hit for Ryu at any point. But I mean, yeah, it's kind of a perfect storm, and doesn't look it <laughs> doesn't look great for the future of the series. Um, I mean. Yeah, I I guess we probably covered all of the actual decisions that were made during the game that were at least of any interest. There were a couple of overreactions that I wanted to address. I mean, I think these are pretty common sense, to be honest with you, but uh, maybe you saw something else that I didn't see too. There were some people that were actually literally questioning starting Mike Voltonavich in Game 1 of this series as if he wasn't by far the best pitcher for the team this season. Um, Did you see any of that, A, and B, how insane is that take? Because it just was just insane.
1: A little bit. I mean, people are going to get frustrated whenever you have as poor of a start as they did tonight. And I get it. I mean, I do. What but are you going to no. do,
0: though? Like, you have to he pitch your absolutely. best pitcher. Like, yeah, he's do?
1: absolutely the starter. Um, he was the best pitcher all year. And, and he has to learn. I mean, I think it's easy to forget that, what, 70% of the team tonight played their first playoff game? I mean, uh, we well, could probably go that, through, count, yeah. but it it's probably pretty close to three-fourths. Um, especially with the the starting rotation and, and a good chunk of the lineup there's a little more um, experience in the rotation behind Fulty, Julio's made a playoff start and I don't know if Gosman has or not off the top of my head. I don't but,
0: think so I mean and really yeah. even in, even in the even in the lineup it's basically just Freeman Marquez and maybe flowers everybody else. Yeah. I guess Culberson was on some of those teams, but, you know, he was in a much lesser role. And, yeah, yeah. it's a situation where this is a team that has a ton of guys in, in a new spot. And you could see what they're – I guess the question coming in was how they were going to handle it, whether it would be the, you know, bright-eyed youngster be terrible or the guys who just are kind of just too young to understand. And you were hoping that that was going to be the case. And it looked, it looked for a lot of the game like the spotlight was pretty bright, honestly.
1: Yeah, it was. And you're playing in front of 55,000 people at Dodger Stadium – it's going. They're going crazy. You're down for nothing. About 20 minutes into the game, like I get it, and and you have to learn. I mean, it's a young team. It's the youngest. It was the youngest team in baseball uh, at the All-Star break when I mean, you looked at rosters and everything. So, I mean, they're going to take their lumps. It's it's good experience. You hope that that faulty learns from it because uh, he's obviously going to be somebody the Braves are counting on for years to come. And uh, you know, guys like Alves, and Camargo didn't have great nights, but again, it's it's their first playoff appearance. There's a reason why you generally don't see teams with with a bunch of super young kids make deep, deep runs in in the playoffs. It's it's a game where veteran and experience counts that you obviously have to have talent, uh, like the Dodgers have plenty of. But uh, the Braves were a little uh, deer in the headlights tonight, and hopefully they move on. It was just one game, uh, and you hope they can at least, even if they don't win tomorrow night, at least put up a little bit of a fight and put some runs on the board uh, against Kershaw and everybody else.
0: Yeah, and the other brief of reaction that I wanted to address was there were some people complaining about Tyler Flowers starting against against the left-handed pitcher, when he has a slash line of three forty eight, five 606 for the season against lefties. Like he's been incredible against left-handed pitching, and I know he struck out three times and didn't look great, but like, what are we doing here? <laughs> this is a pretty simple one too. Like I understand Kurosaki has been good at times, and they're kind of interchangeable in a lot of ways, but let's not be silly at this point. Yeah. I'd say.
1: I mean, it's, you got to, you only have so many options. And yeah,
0: so, you know, I don't know if you have any more takes on what happened tonight. Obviously we can look ahead a little bit, but anything that, anything that you wanted to get out there that you saw tonight or that you took from tonight that is sort of instructed moving forward. Do you want to move on to the rest of the series?
1: I think we've kind of hit it. It was, it was a frustrating game from the beginning and, and, again it as we said it's just one if they obviously need to win tomorrow because winning three straight against the Dodgers is going to be really tough and uh maybe Annabal can uh, work some better in magic but uh, yeah, just not a fun game and uh not i think we've kind of hit on everything
0: yeah and speaking of Friday's game and of course it's now Friday on the east coast where i am it's not quite Friday where you are but um i just checked the uh, the betting markets which are often uh you know sort of I don't know what the word is, I guess, reflective of what people's expectations are and all that fun stuff. The Dodgers are a very, very, very large favorite on Friday. Um, They're minus 228, um, which is the biggest spread by far on the board for Friday. And Friday is one of those days when all four four games are being played in in the playoffs. Of course, a lot of that's Clayton Kershaw because Clayton Kershaw is very good at baseball. Um, actually before they announced that Ryu was going to start game one, Kershaw was a pretty significant favorite over Fulton Avich as well. And the Dodgers were still favored in the game, um, on Thursday, but not quite as big. And now, uh, not a ton of respect for Anibal Sanchez. So, I mean, for those of you that don't know a lot about betting, uh, minus 228, you're talking about a situation where, I don't know, the favorite team would be seen as winning 70% of the time, something like that. Um, I have to do the math in my head, but yeah, it's a spot where it's not going to be at least on paper, the best spot for, for the Braves, you know, annabelle has been good though. So, I mean, what, where where would you peg the chances if if before I told you that number, what would you have said when you talk about percentage chance to win in, uh, in Los Angeles, we're definitely guessing it's baseball, but what would you say the uh, optimism level is for Friday?
1: That sounds about right. I mean, it's, it's going to be a tough game. Kershaw, even with his back problems, and he's not the same guy he was three or four years ago. But uh, when he's right, and, and he seemed to have shaken a little bit of the playoff jitters recently that he suffered from early in his career, I mean, when he's going right, he's as good as any pitcher on the planet. Uh, Annibal has been good. Uh, he's been incredibly consistent this year. He's, he's rarely just lights-out dominant, but more times than not, he's given up less than a couple runs on the mound. Uh, and you hope just the bats can pick it up a little bit. I mean, even if Annabal throws a gem, you have to score a little bit to support him. Uh, maybe they'll have some luck against Kershaw. Um, but um, it's going to be a tough game. And again, just the Dodgers are so good. This is not a case of the Braves not playing well. Yeah, they didn't play well tonight. But it'd be one thing if they weren't playing well against a team that was not very good or, or was kind of over its head a little bit with their regular season performance. I mean... I, I think you can make a decent argument. The Dodgers are, are one of the top three favorites, maybe top four favorites to win the World Series this year. So, uh, I'm I'm not too optimistic going up against Kershaw in Dodger Stadium tomorrow night. But again, who knows where things happen, and, and maybe they'll get a couple balls to land and and get on Kershaw early.
0: Yeah, I and mean, that's probably the recipe. If you're looking for optimism, Kershaw wasn't great down the stretch. You know, six starts in September, ERA nearing four. In his final start of the regular season, he actually got shelled a little bit, allowed five runs in five innings, which is very, very bad for him. That's about as bad as it ever gets for Clayton Kershaw. You know, again, he's even when he's struggling, he's still a pretty good pitcher. But, um, you know, if you combine, you know, I think people want to think back to the last time that the Braves faced Kershaw in the playoffs, and it was the Freddie Garcia game, and he kind of outdueled him a little bit. Um Anibal's been pretty good this year so if he throws if he comes out and throws what he's what he's capable of doing and you rough up Kershaw a little bit uh the playing field levels and the Dodgers while they were good in the bullpen tonight haven't been great in the bullpen this season so that might be their biggest weakness at this point in time I I would argue that it almost certainly is um so if you can get there with in a a tie game or, or within one run the Braves have been very good this year about you know kind of pulling games out that they probably shouldn't win so maybe you get one of those and uh swing the momentum and all that fun stuff you know it's it's a it's an uphill task to be sure because kershaw gives you just such a a huge advantage on the mound but if you can get to him uh, at least force him into the bullpen early uh, somewhere in the fourth fifth inning would be interesting to see what happens from there because you know the Braves bullpen isn't great but actually might be better than dodgers depending on what depending on how you want to look at it so that's that's probably the recipe even if it's not one that seems overly likely and i did check the odds by the way it's about 69 and percent um so that's kind of we mm. right, where we want to be so 70 30 yeah. that i mean i mean 30 70 in baseball isn't the worst thing in the world but that's just kind of what it is at this point in time
1: yeah it's it's gonna be tough and and <laughs> it uh, is as we've said this is not a, a bad team the dodgers are incredibly talented incredibly deep and Uh, We saw a little bit of it tonight with just some of the talent they could bring off their bench and the way they match up and everything like that. I guess if you're looking for a positive tonight, they did have to dip into a couple of their relievers for a game that they won. Uh, 6-0 Dave Roberts, oddly. Including the great Alex Wood. Yeah, pulled Alex Wood after he gave up a kind of a soft line drive and a ball that just uh, the first baseman couldn't field. Went out and pulled Wood to get the final out of the game, which is fine, whatever. I mean... I guess better say it's just than a start. move you do
0: because you don't want to like let the snowball roll down the hill kind of thing. Sure. Like, yeah, it was two outs, which is why it was a little bit weird. Like if there'd been nobody out, then you definitely do it. But two yeah. outs, it's like, really, you're, you're up six. I don't know why, yeah. you know, but I, I, I sort of understood it even if, even if it's probably not the best move, I guess. tactically.
1: And it's not even like they had to burn Kenley. I, no. I forget who they brought in for the final out, but it was not – it no, wasn't Kenley. It wasn't Maeda, one of their – late uh, Baez, one of their late-inning guys generally. So,
0: um, oh, yeah. by the way, one more note just to pour it on for Braves fans a little bit. That's, this actually came from Jason Foster of Sporting News. News. Um, the Braves are now 0-7 in game one of the NLDS since 2002. Mm. So – Game yes. 1 has been a house of horrors um, for the Braves and you know on the bright side a couple of those series were you know the Braves haven't won them but they took they, they took it to like five games I remember being in the building in 2003 for game 5 um, mm-hmm. so you know there's a lot of these a lot of these spots where the Braves uh have been able to bounce back in game 2 their record in game 2 is actually quite good in the LDS. you know trends don't really matter honestly in the, in the big picture but if you're again looking Looking anywhere and everywhere for optimism, that's probably the spot to find it. Is that they've been pretty good in game twos. Uh, that's again, you're, you're just shooting bolts at this point in time, but we're trying.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> we're making the most <laughs> of it at, at twelve thirty Eastern time after a six nothing playoff loss.
0: Oh yes, twelve thirty. And listen, at wish it wasn't a long game because that Friday night's game. Um, I will say right now, I'm going to be in a in quite a mood if they lose. And Ugly fashion on Friday because it'll be probably like 2 a.m. Eastern, I would imagine, because it's a 9:40 pitch or whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, you know it's going to go
1: like tomorrow is going to go 13 innings.
0: Oh yeah, it's going to be 3:30 in the morning, and you'll just you'll, you'll you'll get the best version of me. <laughs> and uh, I don't think it's going to be Scott tomorrow. I'm going to give Scott the night off. But uh, one of those things where we'll have to maybe patch you in is like, you'll be the only person awake in the world. But yeah, it'll be fun. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And hopefully it's a much more upbeat podcast. We're talking about, you know, matchups for Monday and Sunday and Monday, and all that fun stuff. By the way, the one other announcement, I guess that took place maybe during the game or maybe just before the game, the Braves are, if if if, if this thing gets to game four, it's going to be a 4:30 local start on Monday for game four. Yeah. Um, which is going to be a nightmare over there at SunTrust Park. Um, I might try to brave the festivities and get over there, but man, it'll be rough. Um, the one thirty start for you is brutal. By the way, yeah,
1: I didn't want to watch the game, so it's cool. One <laughs> thirty afternoon,
0: you'll, you'll be at the office dialing it up on whatever it is you can dial it up on. But yeah, yeah. my apologies, yeah. To everybody on the West Coast. I know you and Joe are out there, and there's others that are Braves fans that are going to be dealing with some stuff on Monday. So hopefully, hopefully that game happens. But if it does, it'll be some there'll be some viewing challenges for everybody.
1: Yeah, kind of weird, but I'm guessing. I think Monday you get Yankees Red Sox, which is obviously going to get prime time, prime time game. Yeah, and I'm guessing even even uh, Cleveland and and. Houston is probably a little bit of a bigger draw, too. So I yeah, get it.
0: And the Braves were due for one of these, by the way. I mean, for instance, tomorrow, um, the Brewers are going to be playing at 430 again. They're playing, they're playing two straight afternoon games. Um, that's the least appealing series, so, so I understand why. But Colorado and Milwaukee uh, started in Milwaukee, and they're playing – in the afternoon two days in a row and yeah. the Braves just pretty much couldn't because of the fact that they're in, they're in Los Angeles They'd be playing, they'd be playing, you know, noon first pitches, which they're not going to do. Um, so that's the reason why the Braves even yeah. only have one of these, but
1: Cleveland yeah. and Houston is the early game, which is kind of, I mean the defending was- world champs and, and I think Cleveland who people are sleeping on a little bit, they didn't have a great regular season, but they are very built for a playoff series. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, starting at well, 11 o'clock local, or I guess that's noon locally and two Eastern. So, uh, that was a little bit of a surprise, but as you said, you, everybody has to play at some point and You can't exactly have the Dodgers play a game at 10 o'clock Eastern.
0: Yeah, that's just one of those things that has. Or 10 to happen, o'clock so.
1: locally, I should say. Yeah, yeah,
0: I, yeah, I got you. <laughs> uh, all right, well, Scott, um, please fire anything else that you want to. But otherwise, uh, I will bid you adieu, and hopefully, you'll be back with, with a, a, another playoff podcast because that means the Braves are still winning. But um, yeah, hopefully, we score. Scott. <laughs> False call on Twitter. I, that's not on another Twitter. yeah
1: hopefully not another shutout and they make it a game again i mean there are they had an uphill battle to begin with but if they can make it interesting maybe steal one in la i mean if they could steal one tomorrow night all of a sudden you have a chance to win the series at home yeah. if you lose tomorrow it's you know it, it's more will they even get to a game four then uh then just you're just kind of in survival mode at that point then Um, Yeah, I think the
0: uh, the series betting price, if the Braves were to lose tomorrow, will be the Dodgers will probably be like ten to one favorites. I'd imagine something like that. Like it will be, you know, the the the, if if the climb is uh, uphill now, you'll be looking at a basically directly up um, if you lose if you lose tomorrow. So, it's very self-explanatory. But
1: with Walker Buehler and Rich Allen, I mean, we're going on and on and on about how good the Dodgers are with reason. But yeah, if they don't win tomorrow. Uh, I want to say the season's over because weird things can happen, but they need to win tomorrow if they're going to make this a series.
0: That's a good place to end it. Uh, thank you, Scott, for joining me as always, man. Uh, we'll talk very, very soon. As for everybody else, please subscribe. We will have a podcast for better or worse after all of these games. So we'll see you guys uh, late on Friday night, which is going to be Saturday morning. But uh, until then, stay tuned and uh, keep, the, keep the faith. We're almost there.